I want to begin this morning, verse 18. And for the next two, maybe three Sundays, we're going to look at the power of the Word of God. The song that Brian led us in this morning, the verse that I quoted out of Hebrews, says a lot about the power of the Word of God. Today we begin a study of truth and the ultimate source of truth, and that is the Word of God. James 1.18 says this. You have your Bibles? I'd love for you to be in them. We had, I was in Colorado Springs this week for a board of directors meeting at the CNMA, and one night we went out to dinner with pastors of a lot of large churches. And of all things, the interesting discussion was, how many of you put the Bible on the screen, or how many of you encourage your people to bring them with them in the pew? And there was about a split in that. And one of us, or many of us, who said we encourage people to bring them with us and not put the words on the screen, is we really do want people in the Bible. We want them in the Word. And one of the things they have found out when you do put the words on the screen, they think, well, I'm going to have it there. I don't need to bring my Bible with me. A lot of us mark ours up. You won't go to hell for that, just so you know, in case you're worried about it. But a lot of people mark their Bibles up, kind of put some notes beside them, and all of those kind of things. We really want you to be in the Word. And so we're there this morning in James chapter 1, James near the end of the New Testament, right after Hebrews, Peter is in there, so just a lot of powerful truth. And tucked in that little section of five chapters is some truth we've been in for a while and will be in for months on end because there is so much in this short little book of five chapters. In James chapter 1 verse 18, he said he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. By the word of God, he calls forth life. The word of God has the power to give life. Colossians tells us that by his word, by the word of God, he created the heavens and the earth. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he has the power to take us from death to life. Ephesians said you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. It wasn't that you were mixed up in it. It wasn't that you were a little bit behind in it. It wasn't that you were struggling with it. He said you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And because of what Jesus Christ did, through the word of God, he had the power to bring you out of that deadness to life. So when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you literally went from death to life. We talk about the power of the resurrection of Jesus, and obviously that's one of the things we hold to as foundational in who we are as believers in Christ. So often you go to a funeral home or you have somebody die too early and you, you, you honestly wish that you could walk into situations like that, like Christ did and Elijah did and Peter did and raise them back to life. Well, you need to know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're sitting here this morning knowing that you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been brought back from death to life. And it was by the power of the Word of God. Never underestimate that and never see that as inconsequential. You had absolutely, I had no hope without Christ. The world may tell you, and we'll get to that in a moment, there are a number of ways to heaven. I need you to know very clearly there isn't. It's only one, and it's in Jesus Christ. And the only way to get there is through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the moment you received him, you walked out of that dead state into life. The word of God has the power to generate faith. Romans tells us that faith comes through what? Hearing. And hearing through what? The Word of Christ, the Word of God. When you're going through deep waters, when you're struggling with issues in life, and you just don't know how you're going to go on. Maybe it's been a month or two months or three months. I was sharing with a friend this week, and 
Colorado, who I've come to know very closely over the last 25 years, and he and I are great friends. He and Connie are great friends. He's asking how she is, and I said, well, it's been a very difficult three months. And he said, brother, I, I, I acknowledge my time in that struggle, not by months, not by years, but by two decades. And all of a sudden put everything in perspective. Stayed faithful, stayed consistent, loves her to death, continues to pray over her on a regular basis. And every once in a while when you go through those deep valleys, the power of the Word of God has the opportunity to lift you back up, to put wind back in your sails, to give you the strength to go on. Sometimes you may even question your faith. We don't talk about that much, but if we're really honest, there are times in our spiritual journey, maybe I'm the only one, but there are some of us in our spiritual journey that every once in a while when we look at sections of Scripture that seem so simple, and yet you claim them and don't seem to come to life or come true at that very moment, you, if you're really honest about it, struggle every once in a while with your faith, and then all of a sudden God comes to you through the through the Word of God in some context or the other and put you back on solid ground. Ephesians 5 tells us that the Word of God has the power to purify us. He says then, he talks about Christ in the church in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and he says it comes to Jesus came to make the church holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through what? Through the Word. First Peter chapter 2 said it has the power to feed your soul. Like newborn babes crave spiritual milk. So by it, you can grow up in your salvation. You and I need to remember that coming to faith in Christ is only the beginning point. So many of us see, us at the end, see it as the end result. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ, accepting Him as Savior, is only the beginning point in your spiritual journey. It is crossing that line from death to life, but it's only the beginning point. And one of the reasons we spend a lot of time in the Word of God is that's what allows you to grow. You know that, I know that. When you're raising children, you want them to grow and develop. And to do that, you can't wait to get them off milk into solid food. And so they'll grow and mature and develop to be all that they were intended to be. Same with the Word of God. It has the power to give you life. It also has the power to spiritually develop you. Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not what? Sin has the power to keep you from sin. We've been saying that over the last few weeks. If you really are a, a, a student of the Word, doesn't mean you have to have it all memorized, but the Word of God saturates your life and you all of a sudden come into context of situations where you're trying to debate, should I or shouldn't I? And the Word of God comes into your mind and says, no, I ought not to do this. I've hidden your Word in my heart. I don't carry the Bible around with me. Some of you have a Kindle or your, your, uh, your iPod or whatever. A lot of people now have the Word of God wit written on a, on a screen. i got pastor friends who bought the iPad, and that's what they preach from now. They just put their iPad on the plate, and, or on the pew, or on the whatever this is. <laughs> Pulpit, and, you know, they're just going like this, and they got all their notes, and they've got the Bible and 20 different translations. doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter what you have, but you don't usually carry it around with you. That's why Paul says about writing his Word on our heart. So that when I'm in a situation where I've got to make a difficult decision or I'm being tempted by something, that Word of God comes into my life and I said, no, I'm not going this direction. I don't want to do that. I don't want to take that turn. As the power to give you everything you need to live the life God's called us to. Second Peter 1 said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 
2 Timothy said all Scripture, all of it is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And the Word of God says it like it is. The Hebrews verse that I quoted a moment ago, the Word of God is alive and it's active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It gets deep inside who you are. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart, which to me is kind of scary at times. Not what I see on the outside. It's not how good you look on the outside. It's what goes on on the inside. And the Word of God has the opportunity to penetrate through all the stuff that we put up as a facade and allows us to see us for who we really are, way down inside. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the hearts. doesn't even mention actions. We judge people by their actions. He said the Word of God, when it really allows it to get in, when we allow it to get in, judges our thoughts and our attitudes. Because of those verses and a dozen other reasons, that is why we spend three months, two months in one chapter in the book of James. We'll spend a year or so on a whole book of the Bible. The Word of God, the Word of truth, James says, has the power to call forth life. And so because of that and a dozen other reasons, we spend a lot of time in the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a Word, W-O-R-D-F-M, pastor's luncheon. They have it in, in the East Ballroom at Heinz Field. I, I get an invitation every year. They've had five of them. They bring in Stuart McAllister. They bring in Alistair Beggs. They bring in Stuart Briscoe. And, and just a lot of the great... Uh, speakers on the radio and it's in the East Ballroom and I'm a Steeler fan so it's fun to be there and they do it really well and people from all over the place this year Stuart Briscoe was to be there is sick and was stuck in New Zealand and so they brought in Alistair Beggs from Ohio he began by talking about the fact that now we know he's speaking to all the pastors he says you know I, I, I look at how pastors speak and preach today I listen to a lot as well as I know what a lot are doing he said, to be really honest with you, I'm not sure if we need one more sermon series on seven ways to curb your spending or six ways to better your marriage or five ways to raise your kids. We need to spend a lot of time in the Word of God. And he said, there are not a lot of pastors anymore. They have series on a number of subjects, but who spend a lot of time in the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, we had a small group discussion, and we were actually spending some time with Justin and Heidi. And so I said to our small group, what brought you here and what keeps you here? It's one thing to come to CAC, but what kept you here? And one girl we were discussing, and one of the girls said, you know what, I've been in church for a long time, and the one thing that kept me here after being in church for a number of other years is when I walked in here and I heard someone say, open your Bibles too. And I realized I hadn't heard that in the other church that I'd been attending. When we did our capital campaign for this building, we had a testimony of one of the girls from our staff, actually, who said the same thing. I'd been in church for seven years in another context, and I'd never heard a pastor say, open your Bibles too, until I came here. The Word of God has the power to give life. We may lose, we may uh, lose people because we don't do a lot of help, self-help sermons, but we are going to be in the Word of God. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the Word of God because it really does have the power to give life. Now, in light of all of that, in light of all of those reasons about the power of the Word of God, it, it begs a question that I want you to concentrate on for the next two or three weeks. If indeed, and it does, the Word of God has the power to do all of those things, 
then how do I respond when the pure Word of God comes into my life and confronts my thinking and challenges my lifestyle? You've got to think through that. If indeed, and I'm coming from the predisposition that it does, if indeed the Word of God has the power to do all of that and then some, I only gave you half a dozen verses. I could have spent two days just on the verses in Scripture that talks about the Word of God. If indeed the Word of God has the power to do all of these things, when I have the Word of God, the pure Word of God coming into my life, and it confronts my thinking or challenges my lifestyle, how do I respond? What do you do? You say, great sermon? Gives me a lot to think about. I, I never saw it that way. Yeah, I, I need to maybe wrestle through that. What do you do when the Word of God walks into your life through a message or a song or, or just in your own reading and it challenges your thinking or confronts your lifestyle? Let me explain. When the world says, every man for himself, and the Word of God talks about community and accountability, what do you do? When the, when the world says, every man for himself, and the Word of God says, accountability and community, what do you do? Does it change that view of every man for himself, and you find yourself getting in community, or do you ignore it? When the world says, get all you can, accumulate, and the Word of God says, give it away or distribute, what do you do? When the world says, accumulate, get everything you can out of this life, stockpile it, and the Word of God says, give it away, distribute, what do you do? When the world says, and I want to be careful with this, but I, I, it, it, it's confrontive over the last few weeks and months. When the world seems to say, you better be careful with these Muslims. And the Word of God says, love your enemies. What do you do? Now again, I could spend a week on that subject. But I have found even, even as believers in Christ and churches around this planet, when it comes to different issues of sin and politics, taking different slant, and yet when I look at the Word of God who talks about praying for those in authority over us and loving our enemies, I'm confronted with what I hear on a number of occasions in a variety of pieces and places. I walked into a situation this weekend, and I, I, I was just walking into a, a, a place to do some transfer, and this guy was pulling out, and he said to me, you won't fit in. And I'm looking to see if he's talking to me, and he said, you won't fit in. I'm thinking, wow, that must be really crowded in there. So I walked in to the building, and I recognized that there were everybody in the building, and there must have been 10 or 12 of them, were either from an Indian or a Pakistani background. And I realized, as I said to the other friend that was with me, do you realize how much prejudice that guy just displayed? By people who look different. So when the world says, you better be careful, you need to look out, and obviously I do, and I know you do as well, because I, I want to be careful with that. But when the world says one thing, and the scripture says, love your enemies, how do you respond? What do you do? When the world says, do whatever feels good, and the word of God says, walk in a, worthy, a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, what do you do? When the world says, rule and dominate, 
climb to the top however you can, and the Word of God says, serve, what do you do with that? When the world says, be tough, and the Word says, be gentle, be kind, be tender, what do you do? When the world says, dumper, when the world says, dump him, and the Word of God says, be faithful, what do you do? How do you respond when the Word of God comes into your life and confronts your thinking and challenges your living? How do you respond to that? Well, James gives us at least two answers in just the next five or seven verses. One comes out of chapter 1, verse 19. It says this. My dear brothers, take note of this, that every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When the Word of God or the Word of Truth comes at your life, James would say, and it confronts your thinking or challenges your lifestyle, every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for a man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires, so get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you. Second answer that we'll explore next Sunday morning, he gives us in verse 22. Do not merely listen to it, so deceive yourself, but do what it said. So often when we read verse 119, we look at it a little bit out of context at times. Someone will take that verse, we ought to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and someone will say, well, that means we ought to be better listeners than talkers. We've got one mouth and two ears, so that means we ought to listen twice as much. And there's a lot of truth to that. That's fine. Proverbs 10 says, Haste, it says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but when he holds his tongue, he is wise. And so that would validate that. Proverbs says 17, 17 said, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even tempered, even a fool. is not wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he holds his tongue. Another way of saying it is, better to close your mouth and be thought of as a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Proverbs says, The, word of God, or the words have the power, or the tongue has the power to bring life or give death. So there's a lot of validity to the fact that when I am... Hearing the, this word or reading this section of Scripture, I ought to listen more than I speak. All of that is true. But when you look at this section of Scripture in context, which is what you always ought to do when you're reading the Word of God, and applying it to how we receive the Word of God, the Word of truth, it simply means that we ought to listen more than we react. We ought to listen more than we respond. When the Word of God challenges my lifestyle when I know how much power it has to bring me from death to life, to look at me in the inside and challenge how I think and what I do and the lifestyle that I have, I need to listen to that very carefully. Not get angry, not get frustrated, but listen and respond to that. Sometimes it's hard to hear the word of truth. James 1-2, consider it pure joy Whenever you face trials of many kinds, that's not always easy. And sometimes when you're going through a deep trial and you look at a section of Scripture like that, you want to say, you know what, <laughs> maybe okay for you, James, right now I don't feel a lot of joy. But James 1.19 tells me I ought to be slow to speak, and slow to become angry or react. Listen to what the Word of God is telling me. James 1.13, the verse of Scripture that we spent a week on, or almost two weeks on. When you're tempted, don't blame God. 
When you give in, you need to understand the context of sin. You need to understand what it's going to cost you. So when you're dabbling in temptation and you're dabbling with sin and you're in a situation where you have to make a decision about what you will do, you need to be very quick to, quick to listen. Because James says it will cost you everything. I finished last Sunday morning by quoting out of a friend of mine who went through deep waters after having a, 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 a sinful affair. We call it a moral, uh, you know, uh, a lack of judgment. It was sin. He said, that verse that says adultery will cost a man all that he has, that is so unbelievably right. And so instead of reacting to the word of God, I want to listen to what it has to say. I want to respond to what it's teaching me. James would say, when you're confronted with the truth, you and I need to take note of this. Every one of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then look what he says as he goes on to say in verse 21. When you're confronted with the truth and the truth points things out, we've got to deal with it. Therefore, we've got to get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God that is planted in you, which can save you. Moral filth and evil that is so prevalent stands in stark contrast with the truth. You don't really need to be a rocket scientist to know what evil looks like. Every once in a while, you're flipping through the channels. We men are classic at that, just flipping. We can't sit still, and we can't stay on one place. Any of you like that, or is it just me? So we're, you know, we're flipping around, and all of a sudden, we, you know, something catches our eyes, and we look at it, and your spouse walks in and said, what on earth are you watching? Oh, you've had that happen? You don't have to be a rocket scientist. She doesn't have to have a Ph.D. in physics to say, that's trash. Or that's evil. Why are you looking at that? Why are you watching that movie? I don't, I don't want to get legalistic, and so I won't. But you and I both know, when you look at some of the... Tra- you have, all you have to look at is the trailer of some of the movies to know where they come from. And yet, when I hear people talk about the fact that they spent 20 bucks or $10 or $8 or went to the mall and sought it for $2.5, I don't care, and spent two and a half hours watching it, I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. When the Word of God says, stay away from all the evil that is so obviously prevalent, why would you watch that? Why would you look at that? Why would you do that? So in light of the Word of God, when it comes into your life and it confronts your lifestyle or challenges your thinking, what do you do? James would just simply said, you, you need to get rid of that. You need to eliminate it out of your life or out of your lifestyle or out of your vocabulary or out of what you watch or what you what you uh, read or what you look at. Now get angry. Listen to what he says. I listened to a tape on this friend of mine who, who spoke on this subject, and he said there's an interesting root word. The, the Greek rapapia is a moral filth word, but the rupus word, that's the, the base of that, means waxing your ears. We put that in context of what James is saying. He's saying this. You better get the stuff out of your ears because I'm speaking as loud as I can. The Word of God is communicating about some of the stuff that's going on in your life. And you need to get some of those things that are blocking you. Get out of your life some of those things that are blocking you from hearing what it is the Word of God is saying. Well, I like that. I mean, that makes sense to me. Some of us don't even like to be respond or, or confronted with moral filth. 
but I, I can't easily understand the times when I feel like I, just, I blocked, I don't want to hear it. When I know the Word of God is confronting me with something that I need to change or something that I need to do. You and I need to hear from God. And He may speak to us through a prayer, through a worship time, through song, through a great sermon. Use your imagination. And every once in a while, I find myself in situations where I need to, to recognize that there are things that are blocking up what I'm hearing and what I need to do based on what I just heard. And I need to remove that. You remember the parable of Jesus when he talked about a, a, a farmer going out and planting seed in different places? He talked about the seed, which is the word of God. The planter is the sower, God himself, and the seed is the word of God, and he talked about the fact that some of it goes on rocky ground and some of it on stony ground and some of it on a real hard soil and then every once in a while some lands on good soil and he talked in that parable about the things that choke the word of God out. The things that rob it. And you know and I know that every once in a while you'll come into a situation where you'll recognize that the word of God has spoken to you very clearly and loudly whether it be through music or a sermon you've heard somewhere and and you know inside that you need to deal with that, you know, I need to make some changes on that. I need to look at that differently. I need to go back to that section of Scripture and look at it more clearly. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's in a service, and the service is over, and, and, and you really sense you need to make some changes in your life. I, I've been challenged by the Word of God. I need to readjust my thinking and my lifestyle in this area. And so you're really concentrating. And Brian or whoever's leading at the end of the service is leading in a powerful song, and you recognize that the Spirit of God is speaking to you and you want to make some changes, and then all of a sudden, the service is ending, and I say, hey, we love you, God bless you, Get, come back next week, and, and you're still wrestling with that, and then all of a sudden, somebody says, what are you going to do now? You want to go out for dinner? You want to go out for breakfast? You want to go to Eaton Park? You want to go to wherever? And, and what, do you, what, what about this week? How's your kids? How's the family? And, and, they're just, and they're all good conversations. And then all of a sudden, you, maybe next Sunday, remember was that? Or Thursday, what was that that I sensed on Sunday that I needed to wrestle through because a lot of things got in? You know, we look at those parables and we say, well, it doesn't apply to me. I don't know what stony soil is and, and, and hard soil. Basically, it just simply says something came along and, and, and robbed what it is that God was saying and I didn't do what I know he was asking me to do in light of that context. Every once in a while, we need to pull out the weeds so that the grass can grow or the plant can grow. When we bought our house 15 years ago, I had a lot of, of uh, shrubbery around. It's all well done, really well done. A lot of rhododendron bushes and all of those kind of things. And over the last couple of years, I noticed this ivy-looking stuff that had really pretty purple and white flowers every once in a while that grow. And I said to my wife, that is really cool. And I just let it grow. And all of a sudden, I went out one day and realized that it had choked, literally choked out this beautiful rhododendron bush. And she said, that's a weed. I said, well, it looks so pretty. And then I realized how many spiritual analogies that I could have had out of that. <laughs> and she said, but it killed the thing that really was beautiful. And then I'm reminded that every once in a while, I, I need to be in situations where I've got to get rid of some of the other stuff in my life, some of the weeds that I've allowed to be there, remain there, and, and I need to let the Word of God grow richly in my soul, whether it's time or the way I need to adjust my time, the way I need to adjust my thinking. 
James would have said, I, I've got to get rid of all this stuff, whether it's moral filth or whether evil is so present. And I've got to humbly accept the word of God, which is planted in you, which really can save you. Our ability to hear the word of God is not an intellectual issue. It's not an intelligence issue. I have people all the time saying, well, I just don't know the word like I should. It's not an intelligence issue. It's not an education issue. Somebody says, well, you know Greek. I don't. So that's why you know the word better than me. I don't know Greek, by the way. I can find where I need to find words that apply. I have no clue what Greek means. Our ability to hear and understand and respond to the word of God and by that then grow is not an intelligence issue. It's not an education issue. It is a heart issue. It is a spiritual issue. That's why he uses the word and humbly accept. It has nothing to do with my ability to understand the Greek or the fact that I can quote most of the Bible. It has everything to do with the fact that I humbly respond to what I hear and I know God's telling me to do based on what he has just said in his word. So, when I hear the word of God, I find myself in a situation where I need to ask myself a question. How do I respond when the life-changing word of God comes to me and challenges my thinking and confronts my lifestyle? Am I responding to what I at least understand more than I'm worried about what I don't? I think as Mark Twain says, it's not the things that I don't understand in the word of God that scare me or make me nervous at all. It's the things that I already understand that I know I'm not doing. James' advice, if indeed the word of God comes into my life and challenges my thinking, confronts my lifestyle, listen. Don't react. Don't get angry. Carefully listen. And let the word of Christ, Colossians would say, dwell in you richly and teach you. What do you do when it confronts your thinking and challenges your lifestyle? Second piece of advice, do what it says. Don't just hear it. He goes on in verse 22 to say this, don't just merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. As important as it is to hear the word of God, you've got to go further than that. You've got to be obedient to what you hear, James 1, 22 to 25. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word of God but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he was like. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, when it comes to raising your children, that rules without relationship equals what? Rebellion. And that's really true. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. In this context here, information, the Word of God, without transformation is delusion. Causing you to think that you're okay when you're not. Information without transformation is delusion because it causes you to think you're okay just because I've heard it and I know it, but yet if I haven't responded to it and it hasn't changed me in some way, you're deluded into thinking that you're okay. Information has to go beyond hearing to have any value. If you've got high blood pressure or if you're overweight or you need to exercise, 
go to the internet or go to a class or go to a doctor, get all kinds of information, and then do absolutely nothing about what you have heard or what you have found out or what you need to know. You know what? You will continue to struggle with high blood pressure. You will still be overweight. You will still be unfit for life. And you will probably die. Got a cartoon that my doctor gave me a, a long time ago. But then he gave it to me and reminded me again after I had my heart deal last year. He said, let me ask you this. What fits into your busy schedule better? Exercising an hour or so a day or being dead 24 hours a day? Let me think about that one for a while. Information without transformation. If I find out everything I need to find out, I know everything about what God is challenging me in in a certain area of my life. I, I'm hearing this and I recognize, you know what, there are some things the Word of God is saying to me I need to stay away from, I need not to do. I need to get out of my life. I need to clean out my spiritual closet every once in a while. I need to go through some things and sort through it all and realize that I, I ought not to be doing this anymore now that I'm this far along in my journey with Jesus Christ. And not doing that, you're deluding yourself into thinking that it's okay. And James would say, I want to be as honest as I know how to be. Information without transformation, without doing what it is that I know to do. Delude you into thinking that you're okay, and it's not. Not just simply being a hearer of the Word of God, but a doer. The Word of God has the power to give life. It has the power to bring out faith. It has the power to grow you and develop you and mature you into being everything that God has designed you to be as a believer. It brought you from death to life. It points out things in your life that you need to recognize and understand that I now need to eliminate out of my life. You don't always find that out the first week or two or, or, or month or three months into your spiritual development, but now that you're this far along... The Word of God is speaking, and there are some things in my life I need to readjust, the things in my life that I need to change, things in my life that I now need to support and get involved in that I didn't before, and, 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 and causes that I may need to stand up for that I just ignored before. People, as you'll see in a few weeks, that I would have naturally before just walked by that maybe every once in a while I may need to love in the name of Jesus. People that are different than me, that look different than me, that act different than me, that talk different than me, and, and now that I recognize that, I need to treat them with love and grace and show them Christ because if they don't see it in you and I, who on earth are they going to find it from? And the Word of God says these are the things that, that, that I'm pointing out or a truth that comes into your life through a message or music, whatever.